Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Marissa. And I'm Dr. Yosef. And welcome to our little date night as a psychiatrist couple. Um, Today we're going to talk about why Yosef tried to quit residency and I had to beg him to stay in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and got a long term um, his journey through his career. So Yosef, tell me about the time when you tried to quit residency. It's probably around my third year in residency when you kind of pulled me back from the ledge and convinced me to just kind of keep on going with it. So, I mean, the story essentially is is that I came into psychiatry expecting like a lot more. I mean, I know you know I had this big background in like self-help and uh, psychology and, and that's really what I thought people needed to imp- improve. And um, I hadn't had a lot of experience in psychiatry in medical school. So before going to my internship and residency, like I'd worked on an inpatient unit and I guess I always had this idea that when I got to outpatient psychiatry and residency, that it would be way more like building people up, teaching them how to live, you know, addressing these <laughs> issues. I know it's like super naive and like kind of like embarrassing now. But anyway, so I, I, end, up, I end up in the US and it is so not like that at all is what I see. I'm just like, wow, people are really just getting kind of bust in and out of clinic in like 15 minutes intervals with like medications. And it just, it's, it sits with me like super wrong. And I'm like, I don't like this. And then naturally, because I'm very questioning, I start looking and I find like David Healy and Joanna Moncrieff and all these other people who were just saying that, you know, the way we're practicing psychiatry is essentially like bullshit and a sham. And we're just like medicating emotions and we've completely overblown like, you know, the medical component of mental illness. Obviously some of it is, but like a lot of it's like just stresses and we'd completely like given up on helping people with that, at least in the US, it's probably like this around the world as well. And so that made me upset, obviously, mm-hmm. big time. And I had a lot of like rageful conversations with you on the phone, because I know we were talking yeah. a, a lot about it then, but me being like kind of stupid as well was like talking to like my attendings about this. Um, and- But I think it, in a perfect world, you should be able to, yeah, like, if why, you're like, why, like, why are we doing this? And you're like, why is it this way? Like, what about this? You should be able to ask those questions. But, you know, what I learned about, like, life, and I think a lot of people probably relate to this, because, you know, this wasn't just in psychiatry, but also in the corporate world when I was at, you know, FDA and pharma and things like that, is like, um, you know, it, it's in organizations, sometimes, especially if you're low man on the totem pole, it's worth a lot more to be easy to work with, oh, yeah. you know, to not get in the way of things. And yeah. when you have someone who obviously like me was just like annoying them with my questions, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? That ended up reflecting on me in like a very negative way. Like I wasn't a team player, you know, I was, um, yeah. you know, so I was getting a lot of this negative feedback and I wasn't really performing that well. And, um, you know, and I, re- I remember like, you know, because I was doing, you know, acting in this way that I would get like targeted. And I mean, there was this one instance mm-hmm. where, you know, 
I think, you know, I was with an attending and she ended up just being like, oh my God, he's so unprofessional, this and that. And I ended up with like a, you know, in, in some kind of punishment type professionalism mentorship program, like, which is like super embarrassing, but they were just like, yeah, fix him. You know, he's asking too many difficult questions. I, um, yeah. I think it's really interesting that everyone I made friends with in our program has entered into this professionalism <laughs> program. Yeah. Re, what do you call it? Retraining yeah. <laughs> program, um, which I think speaks a lot to, you know, anyone that thinks for themselves yeah. ends up getting targeted and um, anyone who asks too many questions it's, um, is sent down that way to say over and over again, you will not be able to complete your training unless you stop asking these questions. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like get, get with the program, yeah. follow the protocol. Because, I mean, if I think about some examples where I got into blow-ups with my attending, it was like people coming into inpatient units like with methamphetamine abuse that had a suicide attempt while on methamphetamine with methamphetamine addiction and they're just yeah. like oh you and and that and i was saying yeah i think we should just let them kind of sit here get through the methamphetamine um intoxication and go and they're like no she has to be on an antidepressant because she had a suicide attempt i'm like this has like nothing to do yeah. with like you know yeah. like this has everything to do with methamphetamine abuse and the context of her mm -hmm. life and that was just like not okay it was just like hey we just want to be safe so we're going to put her on lexapro and it's like what to the risk of this patient who now has to worry yeah. about these effects but who's like not going to pick up her script when she leaves the er anyway you know <laughs> and, and i had <laughs> yeah and there were other instances exactly like that you know we have like a woman who was had schizophrenia, she's in discharged the- Discharged to the street. <laughs> yeah, discharged to the street. And it's like, she's chronic, she has chronic schizophrenia. Like, why are we gonna put her on a medication when she's not actively like psychotic? I mean, she's low baseline schizophrenia, just mainly yeah. like thought disorganization. We're gonna lump another drug on someone who's not actively hallucinating and just because she's got schizophrenia. Like there was no consideration yeah. of the context or what was happening of the risks of the drug. Yeah. And it just made me very unpopular yeah. until I guess you told me to shut up. Yeah. And <laughs> kind of luckily I did. Do you feel happy you continued? I do feel happy that I continued um, because I mean the whole career after that became kind of about figuring this out yeah. And I wouldn't have had any of the opportunities if I had quit in my third year to go to the FDA, review the drug labels, work for several pharmaceutical companies. I mean, it almost kind of opened the door so I could go and do these very these things that would have been massively difficult to do if I had left. And now I can kind of come all the way back around and um, really actually kind of share this message with a broader experience base saying like I've been in academia you know I've run clinical trials I've been at the FDA I know what's what's happening there and if, if I had dropped out that I never would have been able to do those things. Did you find a similar culture at the FDA? Um, short answer is yes yeah yeah it's yeah. but it's it's mostly like a corporate culture I'm, I, you know I don't want to make it out like oh my god like medicine it, it's the only place that this happens no. but you know there's you know, there's precedent and there's a way that people do things and there's a way like the kind of structure sits together and, and people don't like to rock the boat. 
And by the time I got to the FDA, like I already wasn't like, like I'd learned my lesson. Like I was there as an observer to like learn and, and kind of get along and kind of see what was going on. So I wasn't like, you know, I definitely wasn't like ruffling feathers like I did when I was more like not getting it in residency. Could you have asked similar questions there or was that also just frowned upon? Um, I actually think, you know, I was surprised that when it came to issues of drug safety, it was more that there weren't resources assigned in at the FDA because mm-hmm. when I talked to my mentor over there who was teaching me drug safety, every time I came up with a project, he said, go and do it. And, and we changed the labels for, for drugs and we updated them. And so I kind of came out of that thinking like, you know, if it came from someone within, within the group and someone was willing to put in the effort to put it together, they would actually do it. And yeah, so, we, so I updated mm-hmm. the label for atomoxetine, which was really cool. So that was Stratera when we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, I think if things, criticisms are packaged in the right way, the people there listen. But the thing with the FDA that's interesting is just that the, all of the metrics about a division's kind of success were kind of were based on like reviewing protocols for pharmaceutical companies to kind of advance them mm-hmm. through the pipeline of development. There weren't these milestones for like speed and reviewing safety complaints. And all of this, I've talked about it before, it came out of the Padufa funding where, where pharma gives FDA a lot of money and they say in return, you need to mm. review our protocols within 30 days, you need to review our new drug applications within nine months. And so FDA has milestones that are based on, on that. And so the resources go there and they don't go towards reviewing safety issues. And from what I remember, there was a larger group doing those, you know, kind of new drug reviews mm-hmm. and then a small group doing safety, right? So um, it's just like you're saying less. There was like one general, person. One you know, person. Like, doing you know, my, it. my mentor was, was, yeah. was doing safety there. Yeah. yeah. For all of the psych drugs. Yeah. And sometimes they would like, exactly. yeah, they would farm out different projects to the different medical offices. But it would be like a side quest. It was never like... It's not your priority. It's, it's not your priority. Yeah. yeah. So new drugs is the priority. Safety is not. Yeah, getting like like getting new drugs onto the market mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a quick way was more the priority. Obviously, when you get a new drug on the market, you're assessing like the safety and you're paying a lot of attention to it. But that... Um, you know, a lot of safety issues don't come out in a new drug application, like PSSD. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure David Healy put the PSSD thing in there like, like probably like five years ago. They still haven't like written them back yet. And so there's all of these citizens petitions for, yeah. you know, complicated post-marketing problems like retracted withdrawal injury, um, which I think just sit on the back burner and there's no time clock on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But the F- I mean, FDA is pretty good at catching like the common side effects of the drug. I don't want mm-hmm. people to go away and think that they yeah. don't do that. I mean, yeah. the studies are designed, and so they catch all the things that are within that brief time in that frame. Six weeks. Period. Yeah, in that two yeah. month period, <laughs> even though the people take the drugs for like two decades, yeah. three decades afterwards, yeah. they get that right. It's it's just more of that like what happens afterwards that is like dismissed and forgotten and and not looked at. And what about working in pharma? What is the culture like around safety of the drugs, bringing up issues? Yeah, pharma was kind of interesting because um, 
I mean, again, it's the same thing. It's kind of corporate. Like I, w- I went into pharma more wanting to learn about, you know, how they look at it and how they convey it and uh, convey risks in the label. Um, but there's, I mean, oh my God, surprise, surprise, there's a massive commercial like interest when it comes to talking about um, our safety issues because, yeah. and, and I can think of several examples. I mean, you know, like if, if there's multiple drugs on the market and you're the drug that has a slightly worse safety profile, you're killed. Like yeah. Geodon like kind of failed as a drug because it had that QTC prolongation. Everyone was always like, oh my God, you know, don't touch Geodon. Like we're going to put them on a Lanzapine or a Bilify mm. or something like that. And so there's this real hesitation. I mean, in a perfect world with a drug safety issue, the more serious it is and, and the more common, the, the more serious it is, the lower the threshold should be to like identify it because you should have a lower threshold yeah. of evidence for something that's very serious to, to let yeah. someone know. Yeah. But they would give lip service to that. But what I would frequently see was just like, almost like you needed a higher level of evidence if something was if really was serious, serious because they knew that it would definitely weigh on that mm-hmm. risk benefit of what a clinician would do yeah. otherwise. So they're always like scanning like, okay, if these other drugs have this risk, then now we can say it, but we don't want to stand out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was really subtle about like how those pressures would kind of trickle down and you would hear it like in the leadership meetings when you're presenting safety issues, they're just like, oh, you know, I just don't think that we've really like, you know, kind of crossed that threshold there. Mm-hmm. Every time we dismissed a safety issue because, you know, ones would come up, no one would say a word. You're like, yeah, we don't think this one is real. No, no yeah. one should say a word. Yeah. But every time like we were like, hey, I actually think there could be like a risk here. If it was like a serious one, it was like, go away, do a massive report, you know, come back. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to kind of look for like every reason why this isn't a thing because... I mean, it's the life or death of a company and, and people don't understand it, but they, they really need to, like, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's business for you. Yeah. Yeah. And is, do you have any thing you can share about the wording of the label, which I know you spend a lot of time on? Um, yeah, yeah. It's carefully picked over meticulously yeah. for hours to, to make sure that it, minimizes the seriousness of the risk in any way while still remaining accurate. I mean, there's only so far you can go, but um, the label is everything. Well, I think it kind of brings to mind, you know, something we talk about all the time is um, withdrawal from psych medications and how it was labeled discontinuation syndrome because it sounded less Mm -hmm. serious. Is that true? Yeah, well, that was that was definitely something that happened like as you know uh i think psychiatric medication like antidepressants they really hit the prime time in the mid to late 90s i mean they were just going gangbusters and so people started noticing these problems and so they would convene these councils of thought leaders many of whom developed the drugs and they would look at the data from the short-term clinical trials, you know, the studies that mm-hmm. are like eight weeks long. Yeah. And they would say, hey, you know, we, we oversaw these studies, these people were at our institute, and the majority of it was mild and self-limited. But that was true because the people were only on them for 
two to three months. Yeah. And so everyone could kind of get together and say that it's a discontinuation syndrome. We don't want to blow it out of proportion. We're going to scare people. They all mm-hmm. felt really good about that. Yeah. But the story with the antidepressants is like these drugs behave differently when you start using them for six months, 12 months, three years, decades. And they weren't talking about those people who had been on them for two, three years and then tried to come off and it turned their life upside down. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing about that was when they convened these supposedly neutral like panels of experts to label the discontinuation syndrome, like there's, you know, the, the way you influence the way doctors and family medicine people think about it, it, it's like, it's like who has the loudest microphone? Like they got these neutral groups and then they just like blasted their consensus in the journals. They presented them at conferences. And so there was this concerted effort to just say, mm-hmm. hey, look at all these professionals in these different academic settings. They're all saying it's mild and self-limited. And it's, it just drowned out the, um, the, the concern that was brewing in the background mm-hmm. of like, hey, this is a massive problem for people that are on this long term. And that's, you know, you need lots of money to blow this up and publish and present and have, you know, that time yeah. funded. So yeah. like a grassroots movement would not have that same kind of backing that was like people actually reporting, patients talking about it, doctors maybe publishing some case reports. That's that's just you lost. Know, pales in comparison, I think, to what yeah. you're saying. I think I used to think this way, and I know a lot of people think like, Maybe the most dangerous thing that pharma does is, oh, you know, this they're they're messing up their research or they're they're mm-hmm. they're running their studies in crooked ways to kind of make them seem better than they yeah. are. People think that it happens at that level, but the most dangerous thing that happens in pharma is actually the resources that they have to create certain messages. That is, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea of like the chemical imbalance and promoting, you know doctors and things like that who, who looked at depression that way and they put it in articles that was so totally for their agenda of saying this is like a magic bullet for that but people for a long time have been like even if you look at the dsm the dsm says it's diagnostically neutral you know yeah it could be biological it could be contextual but what pharma was able to do mm. with the idea of the chemical imbalance because they had so many resources and they could put so many speakers in front of people yeah. they managed to create a whole social contagion where depression is due to a chemical imbalance and that has been one of the most dangerous ideas that's been out there um, for yeah. keeping people for keeping people keeping on people drugs on drugs indefinitely yeah 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 thank you for listening to today's episode If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wittering Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WittduringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medication 